Isn't it so such a blessing to each have our own Bibles that we can read anytime we want? Don't have to share it with the whole church or do that thing where they tear out pages and pass them around. We each got our own Bibles. Praise God. Let's uh let's take out our Bibles and and bow our heads. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father God, it's a spiritual nourishment, Father God. Lord, and you you speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that you will use me to speak the shepherd words to your church this morning, Father God. Lord, that you you are the chief shepherd, Lord, the shepherd of your flock, Lord. Lord, guide us, Father God, and um, I pray, Lord, that the message will have meaning for each and every person here, Lord. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you speak to them, Father, through your Holy Spirit, Father God, that your Holy Spirit will come down and bring conviction, Father God, bring the the insight, Father God, Lord, and bring the, the life change, Lord. Father, we... We pray this, Lord, with expectation and faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we're going to continue the series about the core values in our church. And we've already learned several. We've learned that we um, yield to the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So those, the, the Word of God is the ultimate authority in this church and also the church we need to flow in the holy according to the holy spirit each individual needs to obey the holy spirit in their lives we learned that we need to work together as a team that's a, a another core value today we're going to learn about the church is a family so this uh you know our core values um influence the way we do things and the way that we think about things our priorities so when we see the church as a family it's going to um, uh, influence everything we do in the church. So there are two two dimensions to church. There's the universal church, which is all believers through all times, I mean, since since the time of Jesus. And there's also the local church, which is the local gathering of believers in a specific fellowship. For example, our church is a, is a local church. So there's these two uh, definitions of church. So, um, the church is a family, and God is our Father, right? We are His children. Uh, in John chapter one, verse twelve, it says, "And to all who believed, or who, to all who received Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God." And then let's look in Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-six through twenty-eight. Galatians three. 26 and 28. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all, all of you were baptized into Christ, have closed yourself with Christ, there is neither Greek, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we, we all can be children of God. It doesn't matter how tall we are, you know, what, um, 
what our face looks like, what color skin or hair we have. We are all brothers and sisters. That's why Christians, we, we call you brother or we call you sister. Amen? So we are all the children of God. God is our, God is our father. So that makes us a family. So when we come together on Sundays, it's like a, a family gathering. So, it, you know, it's not like a social club or like, um, you know, a, a charitable organization or um, like a company or, or, or you know, like a, a, a military force. Although it has aspects of those things, but I think most importantly, it's a family. So in the church, we, we have, you know, fathers, mothers, older and younger siblings, and new babies being born into our spiritual family. So we receive many ben- uh, benefits of being part of a spiritual family. And we also have responsibilities as, as part of the family. So at New Hope International Church, um, we want to have the same regard and commitment for our spiritual family as we do for our natural families. So we don't want to just meet together once a week for only a couple hours and then not not see each other again. And we don't want to just have a, a superficial relationship or like a relationship maybe like with your coworkers at work. We want to really um, have a commitment to one another and be sharing our lives with one another. Okay, so this is this is what... What we want. So, what are the characteristics of a of a church family? First, the church family is committed to Jesus and to one another. So, there needs to be a commitment. And so, a commitment is I've defined it as I'm saying I am going to pursue your best interests, not because I feel like it, but because I decide to. So, commitment is not based on feelings. Because sometimes you feel like it, and sometimes you don't feel like it. Yeah, sure, I'll go. No, I'm not going to go. I don't feel like it. No, commitment is like, I'm going to be there. And I, I've, I've decided to do it, do things for your best interest. So we have, obviously, we, have, we need commitment in our, our natural families, right? There needs to be a commitment between the husband and wives. So the husband says that, you know, um, I mean, when the husband is committed to the wife, the wife feels very secure and safe. You know, they're like, oh, this guy, he, he loves me. I know that he's always going to try his best and look out for my, for my interests, right? And then when the wife is committed to the husband, the husband feels like, yeah, you know what? I can face the, the whole world, even though everybody else is against me. But, you know, my wife, she got my back. You know, it's, it's, uh, she's, she's supporting me. And there needs to be that type of commitment in the in the between the husband and wife. When the husband and wife have that type of commitment, then the children, they feel very secure, right? Because they know, um, I belong to this family, and my, my mom and my dad, they're working together, and they're committed to, to my success also. And so the children should feel a commitment to their parents, right? So if the kid, you know, is at school, and the other kid says, your mama, you know, and he's like, what? You know, and then they fight. So it's like that, that kind of, you know, commitment. You know, they're not like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's like a, I'm just saying that there needs to be a, a commitment in a natural family. It can't be just based on feelings or just a, a loose association or just um, what I can get out of this relationship. But remember, commitment is I am going to pursue your best interests, whether I feel like it or not. 
It's because I make a decision to do that, right? So, um, you know, my wife and I are are probably like most couples. I I don't know how frequently you guys, but we fight (laughs) from time to time. It's it's less as as we've been married longer. But, you know, uh, if it was just based on just feelings, then I would be like, oh, fine. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out of here too. Leave. You know, and then it's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but we have a commitment. So so we, we say, okay, you know, I, I need to. Why why am I going to stay? It's certainly because I don't feel like it at that time, but because I, I have a commitment, right? So in the in the church, there needs to be a commitment to one another. First, we are committed to our Lord Jesus. And then because of that, we are committed to one another. And Jesus gave us the example of, of he, he made the commitment to us first. The Bible says that, you know, at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even Christ, Jesus, he showed a commitment to us. Um, Commitment is, it creates a good environment where you can sink down roots, mature, and grow. If you don't have this commitment, then like in the, like I gave Give you the example, like the the benefits that the husband gets and the wife get and the children get from that commitment, right? They feel supported and, and safe and nurtured. If you don't have that commitment, then they're always, you know, it's very stressful, right? The husband, the the wife is like always suspicious about the husband, and the husband is like, "You don't support me." And the children, they're like, "Oh, fine, I'm not gonna, whatever I do in my life, I'm not gonna be like you guys," you know. In the same way, in the church, if there's no commitment then there's no, we can't, it's very difficult for us to sink down our roots and grow and really have a nourishing relationship. So I thought about it, a commitment is like a, like a pot. You know, and if it, the level of commitment is like the, the level of dirt that you have. If you just have a, a little bit of commitment, whatever you plant in there is not going to grow very strong because it's going to have a shallow, a shallow base of soil to put down roots. That's shallow commitment. But if there's deeper commitment to one another and to Jesus, then there's going to be uh, like a pot is filled to the brim with, with roots, and, and you, can't, you can't yank it out. You know, it's going to be able to grow up into a, a really nice tree and you know, have fruit and all that. So that's what commitment is like. It provides like a, an environment in a, in a, uh, that we can grow and spiritually and um, just be nurtured. So let's, let's look at... Um, Uh, I want to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. It's in the back. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the John way at the back. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. And when you guys are t- making notes, the way Pastor Lau taught me is that you write down the, the numbers first. And then you write down the book. Because by the time you finish the book, then you forgot which number you wrote down, right? So you write down the numbers, and then you write the book. Because you usually can remember the book. So we're looking at chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. I really encourage everybody to take notes. Because it's just, uh, it's not like, I I admit, I very seldom go back through my notes and look at my notes. But it helps me to remember at that time. So it's not really so much for, for later, but you know, you... It's a good good thing to do. So I encourage everybody to, 
you know, bring a notebook and, and you can use the pens in the back of the chairs and take notes. So chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love love one another. So you see, John, he says that the basis of our commitment to one another, our love for one another, is the, the love and commitment that God showed to us. You know, not that we loved God, but that he loved us first. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. So when we have this type of commitment in the church, it, it, will, um, it also puts us all in the boat together. So we either sink or swim together, right? We, it's, it's, otherwise, it's like, you know, we're all in our own inner tubes. <laughs> but, but when we have a commitment, then to say, hey, if you succeed or fail, that's my success or failure as well. So we're not, it, it helps get rid of like a, like a party spirit or a competitive spirit. You know, the problem with the Galatians, if you read the book of Galatians, is that those guys, you know, they were like, Paul says they were biting and devouring one another. They didn't, they were just, um, you know, and that's why Paul said, hey, if you see somebody fall, gently restore them. Don't like jump on them and, and say, ha ha, and kick them down. You know, we need to have a commitment that helps us get through difficult times together, right? So a candle is not bright during the daytime. So if I'm carrying around a candle during the daytime, it's like, and it's like bright and sunny outside. Not like today, it's overcast. But if it's bright and sunny outside and I'm carrying around a candle, you're going to like, are you carrying a candle? Is it lit? You know, you can't, you can't even see it. But at night, when there's no moon, and it's really dark, and you, somebody lights a candle, then you can see it from a, f- a long way away. It's the same way. You know, our commitment in the good times, you may not see it. Anybody can say, oh, yeah, I'm committed, and you don't know if they are or not. But in the dark times, when it's difficult, then if you have the commitment, then it shows brightly. So Dr. Martin Luther King, he said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort or convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. So we can, we can see the level of commitment, not when the, during the good times, but during the difficult times. So I want to... Um, read one example in uh, First Chronicles. So First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10 through 19. And this is about David's mighty men. First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 10 through 19. Everybody know about King David? So he's a famous guy in the Bible, the guy that fought Goliath. And then when he got older... God made him king over all of Israel. And he got to be king because he had a strong group of might, what they called the mighty men who were around him. And these guys were, were totally committed to David. They were like, yes, David, we know that God wants to make you king over all of Israel. And we are absolutely committed to you. So 
In verse 10, it says, These are the leaders of David's mighty warriors. Together with all Israel, they decided to make David their king, just as the Lord had promised concerning Israel. Here is the record of David's mightiest warriors. The first was this guy, the, this, this the person, <laughs> who was the leader of the three, the mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eliezer, son of Dodai, the descendant of Ohai, uh, something. He was with David in the battle against the Philistines at Pastamin. The battle took place in a field full of barley, and the Israelite army fled. But Eliezer and David held their ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. The Lord saved them by giving them a great victory. I could imagine that David... God told David, okay, this is where you're going to make your stand. And he, he turns around, and the, the whole army is, is running away. And then Eliezer says, oh, where's David? His, David's back there in the field of barley. I better go back there and fight with him. He says, okay, David, we're going to die together. And then they just stood their ground, and then they, they won the battle. Once, when David was at the rock near the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephahim. The three, who were among the thirty, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate, and brought it back to David. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. God forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not bring it, drink it. These are the examples of the exploits of the three. So, you know, I want to emphasize that one of the reasons David was successful was not just because, you know, the Holy Spirit was on him in power, it was also that. But God gave David a, a team of committed people who were committed to, to his success, and they worked together as a team. And you see, David also, also had a commitment to these guys. He didn't like, oh, yeah, thanks, you know, and drink it down. But he was like, no, this is precious. You know, he poured it out. Like, this is one for the homies, right? And they pour it out, you know. So it's like a, you know, it, it's like... Um, in the ancient times, they, they, they would give a, a drink offering as like a, a, a libation, you know, and they would pour it out on the ground. So, so David had a commitment to, to, um, to his men. It was a mutual commitment. So we need to be, have this type of commitment to one another. You know, it's not just like, oh, you know what? Uh, things are getting kind of difficult. I'll see you later, you know? No, we, we need to um, stick with one another. Amen. So, you know, I can guarantee you that as we do God's work and come against the, the spiritual enemy, that we're going to go through difficult times. You know, you are guaranteed it. The more successful, I mean, the more important or the more things you want to do for, for God's kingdom, the more opposition you are going to receive. Now, it's... It's an absolute lie if you think that you're going to be able to make an impact for God, do God's work, 
and never receive opposition. In, that's absolutely not what Jesus experienced. That's absolutely not what the people in the Bible experienced. And it's not what Jesus promised. But he said, blessed are you when people persecute you. And Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, starting at verse, verse 11. Five eleven, Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not just because you're a nasty person. It's like, <laughs> you deserve it. No, but because of him. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, in the... How many people have gone through difficult times? Not, not, I mean, we've all gone through difficult times, but especially because you were doing something for God, and, and, and it, was, it was difficult. And I, I think, I think uh, you know, if you stay here long enough, you will experience that. Um, but during those times... You know, what, what's the most comforting thing is when you have people, your brothers and sisters, who are standing with you. Or at least you know, at least they're in, the, in another city and going through the same, same thing. And you're not alone. You know, I mean, definitely God is with you. But also, you know, God is, uh, I mean, we're a family together. That's what I'm trying to say. There needs to be a, a type of commitment that, that can help us to, to go through those difficult times. So I, I can I can see that uh, you know one of the things we want to do in the church is is to launch the worship center up north, right? So it will it will re- I think it will require more sacrifice from from all of us because basically we're going to be having two services with the the same same number of people, and we will want to you know um, you know I I was sharing with a brother you know that in my experience. Kind of starting a new church is is like uh, lifting the when when the um, space shuttle you know has to launch launch off from Cape Cape Canaveral and then the the majority of the force is exerted at the very beginning and then once they they gain some momentum and, and lift off then you know it, it's it's pretty easy but like when you start it requires a lot of heavy lifting so I'm telling you guys in the next year you know all of us are going to need to work together so that we can. Push this new new church to be successful, and then it it, it will get going, and then we'll focus about the ne- on the next one. Amen. So, so uh, the church family needs commitment. That's the first thing. The second thing: the church family is a place of nurturing and maturing. So that's the purpose of the family, and that's why you need commitment is so that people can are nurtured. And mature, they have a place to grow. Okay, that's the purpose of the family. How many people would um, you know when you when you have little babies, you just want them to stay immature and whiny forever? No, I mean it's like okay, you know you can be you can be whiny now, but it's like Cora, you're almost four years old, right? She needs to learn learn how to um, how to uh, you know mature as she grows up, right? It's the same way with, with, with us. We want people to grow and mature. Um, 
So God gave the church the fivefold gifts for that they can grow into maturity and be built up. The fivefold gifts are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, right? And he gave that to the, bo- the body of Christ, so the, the universal church, all of the church. So that's why we can share. But for the local church, God gave the pastor. And he also gave the, the other ones. We're, we could, we're blessed to have... Um, you know, we all need, every church, we need the influence of all these, but especially for each local church, there's this one, I mean, there's a, the pastor. Every local church needs a pastor. So I want to read a few scriptures here. Um, I'm going to do it quite quickly because there's four, and that these um, show you, give you insight into how Paul related to the people that, that he watched over. So Paul is an apostle in the Bible, and he, he started many churches in the Mediterranean area. And these are the letters that he wrote to these different churches. The first one is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 to, through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 through 12. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that as we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So in that, those few verses, Paul, he says that, um, he was gentle among them like a mother with her children. And he was also dealt with them like a father. So Paul had parental, you know, these parental feel feelings. Let's read the, in the letter to the Ephesians, uh, Galatians. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 through 20. Chapter 4, verse 19 through 20. It says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So Paul said that, oh, you're giving me trouble. And I feel like I'm a pregnant woman in the pains of childbirth because of you. You're giving me, um, you know, uh, it was like this when when I was struggling that you would be born again in the in the kingdom of God. And then the Galatians were going through this period where he was like, are you sure you guys are still saved? You're, you're, you know, you're... um, accepting a different gospel than the one I preached to you. So he felt, he felt the parental concern for the Galatians. Let's look, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 28. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 28. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, 
I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So that's um, chapter 11, verse 27 to 28. Paul, he says that, you know, I'm, I'm working very hard on your behalf. But in, in addition to all these things that, that are going on physically to me, inside I feel pressure because I'm, I'm worried about all of the, everybody here. So we are so, um, I tell you, we are very blessed to be in a, a church where um, Pastor Lau and Da, they, they're, they're, it's not just, we're not just uh, a profession to them, but we're really, they're spiritual children. So they're, they, they have the concern for us. So when, you know, some of us, we give them trouble or something, you know, it's, uh, we shouldn't do it. The Bible says it's not, not to our benefit because these people are watching, at, watching f- out for us, you know. So the last one I'm going to read is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Through 16. That's the last one. Chapter 4, verse 15 through 16. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. So, um, you know, Paul, he just didn't want his, uh, his kids, the kids, the people in the Corinthian church, just to remain kids. He says, I'm your father, and I want to see you grow up and and imitate me. So thank God we have the, we have the, um, the, God has given the pastoral gift to the church so that there can be an atmosphere of nurturing and maturing in the church. So the church is a family. It's a place where we, we get nurtured spiritually and matured. So I want to I want to tell you that we desperately need people with this type of attitude and this type of calling, and I I believe I want now the the way it is is that um, God gives you the calling, okay, and you may not be have like the title of pastor, but you are fulfilling in 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 that that responsibility that you have like a, a pastoral function. Okay, just in the same way as like, you know, you you're evangelizing, but you may not be like a f- evangelist in the fivefold ministry. But God still calls you to evangelize, right? We don't just leave it all to just a few folks here. So in the same way, we 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 have at least to some extent a pastoral responsibility, and this is vitally important for the health of the church. We need these type of people who who aren't going to sit back and say, what, am I supposed to watch out for my brother now? You know, we need people who are saying, hey, I want to see you succeed. I'm going to give you a, a, a leg up, you know, help, help you go, go. And we're not saying like, um, because in the world it's kind of like, oh, you know, I'm going to step on you to, to lift myself up. But in the church, we're like, hey, I want to see you succeed. I want you to see you Get up to that to that level to fulfill what God has called you to do. So, so if we have any like delegated responsibility that is like pastoral, like mentoring or leading a care group or any um, any situation where whether it's like an official title or not. You know, God, God is the one who, who appoints you. 
You know, anybody, if you're a pastor, you're a pastor because God, God appoints you. And then if the church is with it, then they'll, they'll recognize you with a title. But the title doesn't mean you're a pastor. It's the calling from God. So people can call you a title. Whether or not they do, it doesn't matter. What matters is the calling from God. So I could be up here, people will call me a pastor, but God hasn't called me and I wouldn't be a pastor. People might call me a pastor, but it's not. You see what I mean? It's a calling from God. And so, so if you have that calling, it's not like, oh, you know what? They didn't, nobody ever recognizes me. You know, I'm not going to care about these people. I'll wait till you recognize me and then I'll, I'll go give people a call or I'll give people, write people a letter. You know, as a pastor, what we need people is we need people to, um, you know, care, care about the lost. You have the heart of God. Okay. Now, I don't know how it is for girls, but I know as when I was a single guy, you know, if I wanted to pursue a girl, then I would write, write her emails or make sure I remember her phone number and, you know, her birthday and stuff. And, uh, and I would be thinking, thinking about her, you know, right? And I, I want to tell you a tip that is it's kind of like that as, as a pastoral function, except minus the romance stuff, okay? <laughs> so... <laughs> So you're, 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 you're thinking about that person. You know, you, you're, you want to you wanna call them up and you're, you're concerned about them. You're not, you're not just like, hey, how you doing? You know, and, and then, okay, see ya once a week. You know, you, you, need, you need to, there needs to be that, that type of care and concern. The pastor is, is not just one person who, who we hire, you know, out of the yellow pages or something. All right? The, in, in our church... The way we believe it is that somebody is called by God, they love God, they're faithful, and then they show the fruit in their lives. Okay? And um, actually, I, can, I, I, I know that a lot of people in this church are fulfilling a pastoral responsibility. You know, especially if, like, you're a care group leader, you have a pastoral responsibility. And I just want to read to you a couple of verses and... Um, Paul, he told the Ephesians in Acts 20, 28, he said, Be shepherds of the church of God, who God, of which he has made you overseers, and which he bought with his own blood. So these people are precious. They're precious. Jesus died on the cross for, for these people, and he's given you responsibility over them. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and the one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So, I mean, that's, that's toward like the elders in the church. But I believe that, you know, we can, it, it can also be um, applied to, to all of us. Is that we, we, we can see that in whatever responsibility, whether large or small, that we have to provide like a nurturing and uh, care to see people matured, that's a, a sacred duty from, from God that God has given us, okay? So nobody is exempt. 
all right? And it's not just because the people give you a title, all right? That, that's, and then you have the, the duty. It, it's, we all need to, to pull together. Okay. The last, last thing I have to share is that members of the church family have responsibilities. So the first one is that there needs to be commitment in the church. And then the second is that we need to, we, it, the church family is a place of nurturing and growing. And then the last one here is that we have responsibilities. So everybody should be, be involved. You know, like the, even the kids, you know, in, in your natural family, the kids, you know, when they grow up, you have like little chores for them to do, or they need to go to school and get good grades. They can't just stay around playing video games all day, right? No. And then when they get older, they take care of their parents. Everybody has responsibilities. You know, the, the parents need to take care of the kids. We're not just like coming here and like, um, you know, consuming. That would be, we wouldn't be treating the church as a family. So when we go into the bathroom or something, we see it's messy. Don't just, oh, you know, whoever is going to take care of it, they're going to take care of it. No, that's, that's our bathroom. Right, so we we just just wipe up the the little counter there. You know, after you dry your hands, just wipe it up. You know, if you see some some piece of uh, something on the ground, you you pick it up. I bet you, if anybody has a red chair in front of you, if you, I think they're the ushers are pretty good about it now. But from time to time, people like stuff little trash and things down there. And I, I don't know why, you know, <laughs> but don't do it because the, the, it's, it's your, your place unless you do that at home too. Then you got problems. <laughs> but we need, to, we need to consider that the, the church is a family and this is, this is like our house. And so when we go over to other people's house, we're not just going to, you know, leave them with a big pile of dishes in their sink. We're going to help out and, and, and clean it up until, until everything's done because we're a family. You guys got it? We're a family. And with the family comes responsibilities. Okay, so even the kids, um, they had the one campaign, right? It's called Clean Hearts, Clean, ha- clean Hands, Clean Hearts. And so uh, every Sunday they would go around the, the church property and pick up all of the, the trash and stuff that they saw around. And that's really good because it tells them that, hey, this is... This is my place. I, I have ownership in this place. This is, it's like, you know, they're a part of the family. Then they also have responsibilities, even though they're little guys. So this is the body of Christ functioning. And I know that there are, that I, I think that everybody here is, is helping out in some way. And I, I, I'm really glad about that. And I've, from the churches I, I've, I've been to, I, 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 I'm really proud of our church that we have a lot of people involved in like opening up their homes and and uh, and helping out and, and not only in in ways that like are like uh, official job duties but also just helping people out um, you know kind of in the just you know one to one and there's people like cooking for us right now amen so we're gonna have a great lunch this afternoon so. We, we all deserve, deserve a, a big hand, and we're all pulling together as, as a family. So let's just, just remember that, you know, as, as we're doing these things, we're doing these things together as a family. Amen. Amen. So we also have a responsibility for tithing and giving, right? Let's, I want to look in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. 
Acts 4, 32-35, says, All the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. But it's in the Bible and that we, we, we take care of each other. Okay? That's, this, is, this is biblical. And uh, if you, we have a responsibility to practice hospitality to one another. So, I mean, Pastor Da is definitely a very good example she, she's always, you know, opening their homes, and because they have a hot tub, then we get to go get baptized in their hot tub. <laughs> Amen? And so, uh, which brings me to the, the topic of care groups. Does everybody know what care groups are? They're the, the little weekly or, or regular fellowships in people's houses, and we try to fit everybody into a care group in our church. So you should, you should go to at least one care group. I go to several, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, actually, it's, you know, as, as the economic times go down, if you ever want a free meal, just look at the back of the bulletin, you know, it's like Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, hey, pretty, I'm covered, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so, so we, we try to get everybody into a care group, and the, the good thing about care groups is that they're, you, normally they're in people's homes. And so, you know, when you open up people, your house to somebody, it's kind of like an intimate step. You know, if you, like, invited your boss over to your house, it would be kind of like, okay. You know, it would be a little weird. So inviting people into your house, is, is, uh, it creates intimacy. And this is, is exactly the type of intimacy that we want in the church because we're a family, right? Now, in the, the early church, they just met in people's houses, I mean, they would have like the, the big meeting, you know, maybe once a week on the Lord's Day, the Sunday. But they would also meet in the house, their houses for the breaking of bread or the, called, what Paul calls it, love feasts. In their um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's like a love feast. And uh, basically, that was communion, but like real breaking of bread and real wine. You know, they would have like, you know, drink, drink wine, not to get drunk, but, you know, I... You know, they were drinking wine, and, and uh, they would have, a, they would have um, food. It was like a potluck. So um, this is definitely biblical. And uh, in our church, we want to, want to practice this through the care groups. So we, we encourage every, everybody here, if you don't have a care group to go to, then, you know, at, talk to Pastor Caesar. We'll see you can get a care group to go to. We need you guys to get plugged in. We, want, we don't want anybody just to, like, fall through the cracks. You know, as we have... Um, many churches, uh, worship centers all over the Seattle area, one way that we can make sure everybody's getting taken care of is if they all go to a care group. Because if there's like, you know, two, 3,000 people, you know, in, in the, that Pastor Lau has to watch over, he can't know all of them, but their care group leader can know, or the, the brothers and sisters in the care group can know. So that's why we, we want to practice the, the care groups. The church is not a building. Sometimes people think, oh, the church is a building, or the church is the meeting I go to once, once every week. Or the church is the, the people, the family. Okay, it's time for me to end.
So I, I, I just want to, um, you know, as we end, let, let's, I want to pray two things. Um, you know, one, if God has convicted you because, you know, the, the church is a family, you value the church, you know, I want you to just um, pray to God, your father, and tell, the, tell him, hey, I, I love my church as a family. And I realize that this is a family, how precious it is to me. I want to have that type of commitment. I want to um, look after my younger brothers and sisters. I want to uh, fulfill my responsibilities in the church. And the, the second, second thing is that if you are not a Christian yet, I want to tell you that God wants you in his family. So... You know, our, our family is not just like members only. It's God wants you to, to, to come and have a relationship with him. I want to read, read you guys a story from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After that, he, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So, um, you know, if we want to... Have, this is Jesus told this story to show that God wants to have a relationship with us. But first, we need to have that realization that we need to have a relationship with him. You know, God is willing for you to, to come and, and join his family. But if you don't know him, you need to be like the, the son who has said, Hey, I want to do my own thing. And then he went out and did his own thing. 
And later on, he said, you know what? This isn't as good as I thought. It's a pretty raw deal. I better go back to my father. He's going, you know, I don't deserve him, but at least I will be able to be like one of his hired servants. We need to have that type of realization that we, that, you know, we need to go back to God. So I want to um, give everybody an opportunity, if you're not a Christian, now this is an opportunity to, to join God's family. If you would like to become a Christian today, then we will pray for you, and, and, and you can become a Christian. God is your father. He, wants, he is calling you back to him. Okay? If anybody would like to become a Christian, please raise your hand. If anybody is not, is not a Christian, you would like to become a Christian, please raise your hand. Okay, good. So today let's let's uh let's pray that you know God is going to knit us together as a family. Let's help you know pray that the the word that we've learned today it will really sink in that we will that we are part of the family that this is the family of God. Amen. Lord, we we ask you, Lord, for your holy spirit to help us to live our Christian lives, Father, and especially to um, to fulfill our responsibilities in the family. Lord, if you've given people the call to take care of people, Father God, Lord, I pray that you will help them to fulfill it. Lord, that your Holy Spirit is going to give them wisdom what to do, how to talk to people and take care of people, Lord. Father God, I, I pray, Lord, that you will, um, you will give them opportunities to work in their gift, Father. Lord, I pray that many people with a, a pastoral calling will, that you will call many people into the, um, with a pastoral calling in this church, Lord. Father God, we need shepherds for your people, Lord. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will be with all of the care groups in this church, Lord, and help them to take care of one another, Father, and show love to one another, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Father, I pray for everybody who is, who is not sure if they're your child this morning, Lord. Father God, Lord, help them, Father God, to know that you love them, Father God, and know the, the, what you say in the Bible is true, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit this morning, Father God. Thank you for your word, Lord. Father, we pray that you will bless the, the lunch today, Father God, that you will bless the, the membership class, that you will bless the baptism, Father God. Father, be, may your spirit be with people throughout the week, Father God, when they go out, Lord. You're going to be with them and, and uh, help them to do your work, Lord. Father, we pray for our church, Father God, that you will please bless us, Father God. Bless every family in this church, Lord, that we are going to be able to fulfill your great commission, Lord. Thank you, Father God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.